brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth or drifts away, as the old King James says, errs from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Lord, we pray that uh, you would be lifted up as we have read and now preach your word. Lord, as I speak on the outside, would you please speak on the inside? Challenge us and change us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, there was an article that appeared in the London Daily Mail. The headline said, Bishop says collapse of Christianity is wrecking British society and Islam is filling the void. The article went on to explain that the collapse of Christianity has wrecked British society. It has destroyed family life and left the country defenseless against the rise of radical Islam in a moral and spiritual vacuum. In a lacerating attack on liberal values, the Bishop of Rochester said the country was mired in a doctrine of endless self-indulgence that had brought an explosion in public violence and binge drinking. The essence of the article is that since World War II and with the changing of social and moral norms of the 1960s, Christianity has become marginalized in Europe, with fewer and fewer people even going to church, much less reading their Bibles and living according to Scripture. Society has become secularized. But when the Western society abandoned Christianity, it also lost all basis for absolute morality and ultimate meaning in life. There was this huge void that was created. And now into that void, two great social forces are rising up with a vengeance. One is self-indulgence. The other is radical Islam. The two of them are on a collision course and neither of them bodes well for the future. Well, the same patterns are at play right here in the United States of America. And I am not up here today to be negative neg, Ned, <laughs> you know, or Debbie Downer. And I'm certainly not here to bash America because I love my country. But as someone tweeted on the 4th of July, celebrate our country's birthday because it could very well be her last. Really, the only hope for our world is a rediscovery of authentic Christianity. And I really think that's what the book of James is all about. It's about faith and action. One of my former seminary professors called James a book in Christian shoe leather where we go out and live the real deal. It is a functional and active faith that changes our lives and the lives of those with whom we come in contact. A couple of weeks ago, I, I, I preached on how we can make this world a better place. We make this world a better place one person at a time. And that begins with you. When you give your heart to Jesus and you start living a better life and then you bring someone alongside you and mentor them 
and lead them to Christ. And one person at a time, our world becomes a better place. James, when he ends this book, doesn't have a normal conclusion where he sends greetings to various people or has a natural sign-off. He just finished his book with one last final admonition. And it's a powerful one. For in verse 19 again he says, My brethren, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. In, in verse 19, James tells us that it is possible for church members to drift away, for them to wander from the truth, or as I've said before, the old King James says, to err from the truth. It's possible for Christians, for church members, to drift away. In fact, it happens every day. Uh, there's kind of a debate among theologians as to exactly what James meant here. Is he talking about people who just doctrinally drift away from the truth? They, they change the, the meaning of Scripture so as to fit their own lifestyle, and they pervert the written Word of God, and they do it mentally. Or secondly, is he talking about people who just drift away? They walk away. They walk away from the church. They walk away from Christ. They walk away from the family of faith. Both are true. And both happen all the time. I've been pastoring for over 30 years and I've seen hundreds of people drift away. I've been the pastor of this church for over 16 years and there have been a lot of people who have come and gone. Some of them have gone to other churches and that's fine. Some have moved away to other states. I don't know why they would do that unless they're going to Texas, but some, some have left. But you know what? There have been a lot of people in this church who have just drifted away from God. Did you know that you can drift away and never physically leave the building? There's a lot of people who have drifted away from God and they still take their pew on Sunday mornings. You can sooner or later tell they, they develop a really bad negative attitude. And they'll gripe and complain about any and everything. It's because their heart is away from God. They've drifted away. We used to have a term for this when I was growing up at the, in the Baptist, Free Will Baptist Church in Midland. We, we, we would call it backsliding. You don't hear that much often today, but, but it's true and it happens. People backslide. And James is telling us that it's possible for church members to drift away, to backslide. And that all of us, as members of the family of faith, should be diligent in helping each other spiritually. That we should seek to bring back those to the church who wander from the truth. That's our job. It's, it's written in our job description as an ambassador for Christ. We should be heartbroken when we see someone drift from the truth. We should not scorn them or hate them. We should love them and in compassion reach out to them to bring them back into the family of faith. And then verse 20 states this general principle 
which really is the guiding maxim of evangelism. Whether it be a backslider or a person who has never accepted Christ as their Savior, listen to this great principle in verse 20. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. I guess that is an amazing verse. Really, there, there are two different people at play in this verse. First, there is a sinner. And that sinner could either be a backslider or it could be someone who has never professed faith in Jesus Christ. But they are both in their sins. They have both strayed from the truth or away from the truth. They are both living in error. The, the other person is someone who has compassion on them. They see them in their backslidden condition. They see them in their sinful state. And instead of judging them or being a religious snob towards them, their heart's broken. They have compassion. And they do something about it. They reach out in Christian love and, and try to turn this person's life around. And I, I tried to visualize this because that's what James is all about, about, about Christianity and real shoe leather. So this week I tried to visualize this kind of person. And, and, then, and then I saw her. I saw this person. She had seven kids. And I always wondered growing up, why is it that, that she had a, a certain attachment to one of those kids and that kid's family? And, and why was it that, that, that she seemed to go out of her way for this one family and this one child? Why, why was it when there were six other with all the grandkids and great-grandkids, did, did this godly lady have a certain attraction to this one child of hers. Then as I got a little older, it dawned on me. Because he was the only of the seven who was saved in the church. So Grandpa loved you. Had compassion on him. She did everything she could to turn him from the error of his way. Notice the impending damnation for the sinner who is on that collision course. It is a collision course with death. When you turn a sinner from the error of their way, you are turning that person from death. And not just physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about death, damnation, and hell. It can't get any worse than that. Believe you me, there are plenty of people on that collision course. They might be in your family or work in your office or you go to school with them or they live down the street from you. They may be right there in your own family. But they're headed for death. The good news is the person that has compassion can turn that individual from death unto life. And what happens when that turning takes place? There are a multitude of sins that are covered. Woo! Man, that is awesome right there. Now, I, I was saved when I was six years old. 
And you might not think that a six-year-old kid could have a multitude of sin, but, but I guarantee you there were thousands of them that I had. If you don't believe me, ask my mom. I was a pretty ornery, mean little kid. But Jesus saved me from my multitude of sins. Can you imagine a person that's 40, 50, 70, 80 years old, the thousands of sins that they have committed in their life are removed, never to be held against that person again. Glory to God. Wow. What a multitude of sins. Church, you've got to see this this morning. That's our job. That's what God has called us to. I recently read about a church that baptizes 500 people a year. That's pretty amazing. They gave several reasons of, of this church's success in evangelism. Number one, the church is located in a booming demographic. There are people all around, and they're ministering to those people. Second is their emphasis on children and youth ministries. They do several events through the year as an evangelistic outreach for children and young people because they realize and understand that most people, if they come to Christ, are going to do so when they're young. And so they have things like vacation Bible school and youth camps with an emphasis on evangelism. And then the third reason is that the members of that church are active and passionate about inviting friends not only to church, but to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, as I read that article, I thought once again about the old adage, if everybody in our church, that is Kavanaugh Church, invited and brought just one person during the course of this year to the church and to Christ, we would literally double in our size. And James said that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now you tell me, what would happen if we all became passionate about doing that? What if that became a part of our DNA? What if that became our lifestyle? That we just did it as naturally as eating or sleeping, or drinking. We just became passionate about sharing Christ with other people. I read the story about a woman who started feeling sick, and so she went to her doctor. They ran a multitude of tests on her, and finally the doctor called her in for consultation. He said, I want to be completely honest with you, Miss Thompson. We've discovered cancer. It's in advanced stages throughout your entire body. We're going to treat it as best we can. But barring a miracle, your days are numbered. Now, Miss Thompson's life seemed to flash before her as she tried to absorb that news. Can you imagine? Let's say you're that person in your doctor's office and he's giving you that news. She ran the roller coaster of emotions, but then all of a sudden, within 30 seconds, she said there was a sense of peace that came over her as she framed her reply back to the doctor. Dr. Judson, she said, you say that my days are numbered. And as she wiped a tear from her eyes, she managed to smile and said, well, doctor, so are yours. And with that, she witnessed to him and told him about Jesus Christ. Her concern was to share a word for Christ and direct her doctor 
to that doctor of salvation, Jesus, the great physician. If we could only realize that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Church, listen, that is or should be our greatest concern. For all of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we should be passionate about sharing the good news. Dr. David Cummings is a retired Wycliffe missionary. In fact, he is the former president of Wycliffe Bible Translators. He was recently introduced at a speaking engagement in a very unusual way. The, the minister who introduced him said this, Over 40 years ago, I was a boy traveling on an airplane. Next to me in the seat of that airplane was a young man. And during that flight, that young man shared with me the four spiritual laws of salvation. And as a result of that conversation, I became a Christian and later a pastor. That young man never knew that I had accepted Christ. But tonight, it is my joy to tell him that story as I introduce him to come speak to you. Pretty amazing story. I will add to that, there are many times that we don't see the results and we don't always get to do the harvesting. But God has promised to those of us who share Jesus Christ with others and sow the seed that we will reap a harvest at the end of the way. Four, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let me tell you the story about a man named Daniel Draper. He was a 19th century Wesleyan Methodist preacher and missionary to Australia. He was born to an English carpenter and his wife in 1810. His dad had high hopes that he would grow up and, and become a carpenter himself, but Daniel came to know the Lord as his Savior, and God called him into the ministry. When he was in his mid-twenties, the Methodists in England sent him to Australia where he spent the next 30 years of his life preaching the gospel, planting churches, and establishing Christian schools. In January of 1865, Draper and his wife took a year's leave from the mission field to return to England. This was their first trip home or their first furlough in 30 years. When he came back to Europe, he attended a great Methodist conference in Birmingham. He visited his old hometown. He traveled about from church to church talking about the Methodist work in Australia. Then one year later, on January the 5th, 1866, the Drapers boarded a steamship that was called the London to return back to Australia. As he boarded that steamship, he turned and said this to a friend. I could spend another year in England very pleasantly and should like to do so if my conscience would allow. But I feel that I must get back to my work. The day after they sailed from England, the sea became rough and the following day a number of the passengers became very anxious on the rough waters. They were in the Bay of Biscay and the wind increased in violence. Monday night was full of distress and on Tuesday, the ship was tossed around like a cork in the ocean. Massive waves crashed against the entire ship. 
The sails were torn in two. The masts were beaten and broken down. The lifeboats were swept away. The engine room was flooded with water. Both the crew and passengers worked incessantly at the pumps, but it was hopeless. Early on Wednesday, the captain tried to turn the boat back to Portsmouth. Thursday morning came the storm again with a fierce and violent plunge with wave after wave crashing over the ship. The ship was filled with water. So the captain called everyone, passengers and crews, into a large meeting room. And he announced there was no hope of being saved. He said, we will all perish at sea. There was no screaming, really no emotional outburst. They called Dr. Reverend Draper to pray and then exhort the passengers. Well, Reverend Draper did more than that. He went person to person, evangelizing them, pointing them to Christ, praying with them, leading them to Jesus. He preached the gospel amid the gale of the storm, and he virtually led everyone on that ship to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The last words anyone heard him say were these, Those of you who are not converted, now is the time. Not a moment to be lost. For in a few minutes we shall be in the presence of the judge. There was one small lifeboat found and launched. No one was expected to survive the storm, but a couple of days later an Italian ship picked up three passengers. The survivors said that as the ship was sinking beneath the rough waters of the ocean, there was the sound of singing as the passengers sang, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. When the terrible news reached Australia of the loss of this ship and so many men, women, and children and the death of their beloved preacher, Daniel Draper, a leading Presbyterian minister in Melbourne made this comment. He said simply that God had known that this ship would sink and that accordingly he had sent Reverend Draper as a passenger to support the Christians on board and to win the loss to Jesus and to the sure and sure hope of eternal life. Now, there are a whole lot of things about that story that I don't understand. But one thing I do understand is this, that our God, in His omniscient wisdom, knew that that ship was going to sink. And so He strategically placed His man aboard that ship to win the perishing to eternal life just in the nick of time. And church, you need to understand that this story is a metaphor of you and me. All of us are stationed here aboard a perishing planet where there are dying men, women, boys and girls all around us. And we have but one message. Those of you who are not converted, now is the time. There is not a moment to be lost. And there are people whom we need to tell. And there are people whom we need to save. For whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death 
and will cover a multitude of sins. So rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes because I know without a shadow of a doubt there is, there is someone, if not several, who are here today. And you have erred from the truth. Oh, there was a time when you invited Jesus into your heart, but you know, you know without a shadow of a doubt, things are not right between you and the Lord today. You've drifted away. You're not the person you should be. You're not living the life that God wants you to live. But dear friend, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And I care for you. And I'm here today asking you come back to Jesus. Recommit your life to Him. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everyone in this room who is a Christian has drifted at one point or another in their life. The important thing is that you come home. There are others in this room who have never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I invite you to do that today. He will transform your life. He will turn you off the road that leads to destruction, death, and damnation, and He will give you eternal life. Would you come to Him? And then for the rest of us who are here and who are saved, would you be that person who goes about turning sinners to Christ? Would you make a commitment today that you will allow that to be a part of your DNA that you become passionate about sharing the good news. And I think that begins today because God is already putting someone right now in your heart and on your mind that you need to share the good news with. Maybe it's someone who used to come to church here, but they've drifted away. You need to be the person who goes and brings them back to the Lord. Would you come? Heavenly Father, please speak to hearts. Help us to respond.